Good afternoon. Welcome to Civic Sparks. We got a great show for you. But first, I want to give a quick shout out to 423 Media for giving us all the fun graphics and everything we need for the show tonight. And let's introduce our guest, Mr. Jonathan Feldman, CIO for the city of Chattanooga. Sorry, that's me. City of Asheville, North Carolina. How you doing, Jonathan? I'm well. I hear that the uh, city of Chattanooga job is uh, filled by somebody else, not 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 Jonathan Feldman. <laughs> oh. But I'm glad to be at the city of Asheville and glad to be on the show. Good. Well, welcome. Uh, first of all, let's just start off with a question I ask all my guests, and that is to know you a little better. What brought you to Asheville and what drove you to being so passionate about the public sector? Well, I, to be honest, I was recruited into Asheville. But uh, when I arrived, I made it my business to get really educated about municipal government and about civics. And to that end, I went to a University of North Carolina School of Government courses and all that kind of stuff. And along the way, you know, I find that technology is never effective when you don't like what you're doing. And I discovered I really liked civics. I really liked the ability to have an effect where I live to make the community better. So really, that's why I stayed. And Asheville's such a wonderful city, too. I was just there uh, a couple hours ago, in fact, and uh, I'm there quite frequently. As, as you know, you and I go and have coffee occasionally and spend some time, you know, talking about this kind of stuff uh, up there in Asheville. It's a wonderful little town. If you've not been to Asheville, I suggest, that, you know, get on a plane, go to Asheville, North Carolina. It's a great place. So let's talk a little bit about leadership and digital transformation. I think leadership techniques have come a long way since the days of our parents and grandparents do we see this trend shifting in the public sector space yet, or is it still kind of lagging behind? Well, this is one of those, it depends, Brent, because it depends where you are. If if you're at a city, county, state that is still sort of in command and control instead of cooperation, collaboration, and communication, then that's how things are going to be. But as it turns out, you know, funny thing, there is something called social Darwinism in this age of digital digital disruption. And when folks, and there's nothing wrong with command and control, okay? Firefighters have command and control. Police officers have command and control. Folks in the military have command and control. And and they need it, right? There's life safety on the line every single day. But when you're not in a paramilitary or military field, as Daniel Pink has famously said, folks are looking for autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And that's really hard to get uh, if you're just purely in a command and control environment. And in fact, uh, the best paramilitary folks that I know it, do offer that autonomy, mastery, and purpose to the extent that they can, right? Sure. So I think it depends. I think it it's, it's all about who you're working for, who's your boss, who are your, who are your top leaders? Sure. As somebody, a veteran myself, I know that uh, there's a time and place for command and control. And, you sure. know, when, when people's lives are on the line and, and when, you know, things like that, you know, typically tends to be a better style and it works well. Um, but even the military's changed in the sense that now they're they're actually, uh, my brother's a major in the army, actually. And he's, you know, they've, they've changed a lot since the days that I was in in the 90s to where it was very much command and control, an old style of I say, jump, you say, how high, yes, sir. And now to more, they're sp- spending them 
uh, spending a lot of time sending uh, officers to leadership classes and even uh, NCOs to leadership classes to learn how to better deal with uh, different personalities and how to deal with the soldiers a little better. And it, it seems to be working out well for them. So I'm hoping that that uh, uh, when you and I have seen this trend go on in the public sector as well, to be able to see some um, shifts in that area. And, and Dr. Reigenthal spoke with me last week about um, the fourth industrial revolution and in, in the public sector and where things kind of go from a digital transformation standpoint. And I think leadership really has a key role in that, wouldn't you say? Well, I, I think leadership has a role in any, any place that we're going, right? If, if we're going to digital transformation, leadership's key. Fourth industrial revolution may be upon us, whether or not we decide to do anything about it, but the way we respond, the way we react, the way we work, the way we play, the way we relax, and the way we learn is all, all has to do with leadership. If, if your boss tells you, hey, you have to have this training class and puts his or her thumb on you and says, go, 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 you're probably not as invested in that training class as if you say to yourself, well, gosh, this is a good training class. It would be beneficial to me. It would be fun. Uh, I would learn something cool. It would be good for my career. So, you know, I think leadership is tied up in everything we do from parenting to, uh, you know, how we collaborate in the office. And leadership is not just for the folks who are given the orders or, or, you know, making the requests. Leadership is for everyone at the organization, Brent. Absolutely. Can, it doesn't matter what position you're in. You can still be a leader. Uh, you don't even have to be a manager or supervisor to be a leader. You can you can lead from from all angles. Uh, and I'm I like to to encourage that amongst staff myself, and I know you do as well. Um, but I think I think there's still this this stigma, like you mentioned about the training courses. I was in a, a, a training course a couple of weeks ago. And I noticed that a lot of the people that were in the same course is a certification course that I was uh, going through with some of my my staff who actually went through. I was like, hey, why not? I'll do it as with you. You know, my staff were not expected to work. They were expected to train. They were expected to learn and spend their time. Right. So not checking emails, not calling the boss, not doing this stuff. And I see a lot of that with other agencies to where, you know, they're training but they're not really paying attention. They're not really learning. They're, 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 they're still checking emails. They're still answering phone calls because they're getting a text message from their boss saying, I need this to be done. How can we, I mean, is there anything that we can do? I mean, as leaders, obviously we can change that paradigm on our own, but how do we get that message across to other leaders that that's really not the best? Well, give me, give me a second. I I need to answer this text. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Right. I mean, we live in the age of distraction, man. Sure. You know, and and I think if anything, the pandemic has made it worse, not better. And Fair I point. think again, it's it's about folks' level of engagement. Um, we have all those distractions, but are folks in that training class? Do they know it's key to the mission? Are they bought into the mission? Do they give a crap about the mission? You know, it's all those things, and. And frankly, is the training any good? You know, is it engaging? Is it is it just rote or is it trying to teach you something, make you have a little fun, you know, or is it just cramming crap into your head? Right. Uh, come on. Think uh, about your best teachers. Your best teachers were engaging. Your best teachers might have been a little crazy. 
Yeah, exactly. That's ab- absolutely right. I do remember a lot of my teachers in, in high school and middle school, and I remember the ones that were horrible, and, and I don't remember a whole lot about them other than that were horrible. <laughs> but, you know, you remember all the good stuff and the things that you did learn well, and, you know, you, you remember those people and you never forget them. So that's a good point. I think leaders can be like that as well, right? Uh, I, I used to tell folks all the time, that you, what made George Washington a great leader? Was it the fact that he was this wise general? Was it the fact that he knew all a lot about you know military uh, tactics and things like that? No. Uh, what made him a good leader was the fact that he listened to his staff and he trusted his staff. And even if he did make a decision and say, hey, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take this hill. We're going to do this. And somebody says, I don't know about that. That's not a great idea. Maybe we should try this tactic instead. He listened. He understood and he, he, he thought about those things and he made decisions based on uh, th- the reality of the situation, not just because it was him being the leader and he wanted to make the decision. So we. Yeah, I mean, you know, and we talked about command and control, Brent, but I, I think there's a great video out there by a submarine commander who talks about and one of the key messages is I put the decision where the knowledge was right and that actually was better for our submarine put that decision where the knowledge is i mean i'm the captain i can't possibly know what's on the radar and so you know decision to move forward based on sorry on the sonar and so i think i think that concept of you know your folks might actually know something your best folks, right? Which are, by the way, who we want to retain. Absolutely. And so your best folks know their business better than you know their business. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they know their jobs real well. And that's our job is to support them, in my opinion, as, as a leader. They don't work for us. We work for them. We, we knock down the walls. We knock down the barriers. We we go through all the, the rigmarole. We have the, the power and the authority to go up the chain of command and say, hey, we need this. We need that. And Get the, get, get the stuff out of their way and let them do their jobs. I mean, I look at it a little differently, Brent. I, I think that we work together. I think we collaborate. I think, I think we each have a role. We each have a responsibility. Um, you know, I think of it more like a conductor in an orchestra. You know, if, if, if the conductor starts to uh, boss folks around, the conductor doesn't know how to play the cello and the violin and the viola and the oboe. But the conductor sure knows how to get folks together and collaborate to make an amazing symphony sound great. So, I mean, that's how I think about it is, is we all work together. There's, there's times for leadership. There's times for central coordination. Uh, there's times for decentralized uh, activity. But, you know, for me, it's about a coordination role. It's about leader as chief storyteller it's leader and i'm not talking about platitudes and i'm not talking about you know gee everything's great you know and and we all need to be inspired by uh you know cranking out whatever thingamajigs our business cranks out but a good leader is going to find those those stories that tie people together a good leader is going to find those bright spots that exist in the organization where people feel that camaraderie, that fellowship and recognize it and tell that story. And here's what we know as leaders, what gets recognized and rewarded gets repeated. 
That's a funny thing. You mentioned earlier about the pandemic changing, you know, the paradigm, what we're used to. Now we have this whole different role or this whole different world going on, right? right. You know, we've got what we call now, as, as you and I have recently uh, discovered, distributed teams, not remote workers, not virtual people, but distributed right. distributed teams, right? And that hasn't still, I've, I've seen a lot of public sector agencies still trying to go back to the norm. Supervisors and managers still trying to bring people back into the office and people resisting that and, and leaving as a result and going and finding other things and other industries that will allow them to do that. Do you... You, is there anything that we can do to change that mindset? <laughs> I think Darwin has has a way of uh, changing things, Brent. I, I think that there will be natural consequences for losing your most qualified people simply because you want to be a toxic micromanager and be able to peek into their office instead of saying, Hey, Brent, you're accountable for this, 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 and this. Get it done. And I'm not going to mess with you other than to expect that it gets done. Absolutely. Your best people want that. They don't want to be micromanaged. They want you to tell them what needs to be done. What are the priorities? They don't necessarily, well, they definitely don't want you to start telling them uh, in five-minute increments where you're at and did you take a bathroom break? And are you in your office? Right. Well, no, I wasn't in my office. But as it turns out, at 6 this morning to 8 this morning, before I actually came to work, I wrote 1,500 lines of code that were pretty damn good. Right. So, you know, I mean, those are your best folks. Because they're doing it because they want to, not because they have to. Here's another thing. Prisoners make really shitty employees because they're, I mean, they're prisoners. Yeah. And, and they resent being prisoners. And so you get how much discretionary effort from these employees? Oh, this much discretionary effort from those employees. And because I'm an accessibility guy, I'm going to say I made a zero with my hands. <laughs> so... And for the podcast listeners who can't see you. <laughs> and there you go. See, everyone should be into accessibility. That's right. Count them all. And that's true. And, you know, when you when you go back to that that distributed learning or, excuse me, that distributed workforce type mentality, you, we saw this last year with the pandemic that a lot of managers were becoming even more micro. Like it was one thing to be micro in the office and expect somebody to sit down in front of their desk eight hours a day and being productive right? And treating them like children versus adults who are accountable for their own actions, right? If somebody's not accountable for their actions, well, then there's consequences for that, correct? But everybody's an adult. We're all accountable for ourselves and for our own actions. And we, we reap the consequences or we reap the rewards regardless. So you see a lot of this remote monitoring and, and devices that are tracking people's key movements and having their video cameras on so that they make sure that they're sitting at their desk. What's your opinion about that? It's a rhetorical I question. Great, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great way to get rid of your best employees. That's right. I, agree. I mean, look, it, it's it's not a surprise that 
folks without any leadership talent or managerial talent look to accounting mechanisms instead of leading and managing to get things done, right? Uh, but one of my mentors long ago told me, never mistake an accounting mechanism for your leadership responsibility, right? We need to count the money. We need to have roughly, you know, yeah, you know, this person was in the office here. It wasn't in the office there. It was taking a vacation day. That's cool. That's accountability. Everyone likes accountability. Everyone who's a decent employee likes accountability. What folks don't like is this atmosphere of distrust because here's a funny thing. How do you earn trust? You have to give trust to get trust. Here's another funny thing. The person with the most authority and the most power has to give trust first because the person without the authority and the power actually are afraid. And so it's hard for them to trust. Absolutely. But as a leader of an organization, you have a ton of power. Why are you so afraid to give a little trust? Absolutely. And you wield the invisible gun too, right? Just just your very presence in some some uh, instances changes the very dynamic of a conversation, changes the dynamic of a meeting, changes the dynamic of a lot of things, a lot of interactions. So you can be careful of that as well. My, my sister, Deb, is the co-founder of a company called Grayscalable, which services startups with HR services. And early in my leadership journey, she said to me, don't forget, every time you speak to an employee, you're holding a megaphone up to their ear speak softly right <laughs> and that that was been not it was fantastic and phenomenal advice yeah and, and, and i've always i've repeated it as often as i can that is phenomenal advice actually and that's mm -hmm. that it goes I, I wrote something similar in my book about um I'm, I'm six foot four. I'm, I'm a very Sasquatchy tall individual and can be very intimidating to some, especially who, who, who are, you know, a lot shorter than I am. So I, I have a tendency to be intimidating in that fact, whether you want to or not, it just, it comes off that way. So uh, there's a lot of times to where I, I've instructed uh, folks like, well, if you're a big guy like me or, or, you know, somebody who's tall, sit down and have a conversation. Don't hover over them unless you're President Johnson and want to use it to your advantage. <laughs> you know, there's a time and a place, right? There's a time and a place, like right. you said, commanding. No, that's good advice too. Yeah, yeah. but you know, be, be, be a little more on their level and, uh, and speak softly, right? Speak softly and carry a big stick. Is that what um, I believe the, the term was? So where do you think this is going to go? Do you think we're going to stay? I know the private sector has already said, and we've seen these trends growing from the the, the distributed teams going, uh, you know, pretty much full on remote all the time. Wait, wait, can okay. I stop you there for a second? Sure. I have to say my I have to say my thing about like private sector versus versus uh, public sector. So if if you're in a private sector organization that is large enough, this is indistinguishable from government. My time early in my career with, with some of the largest consumer products companies in the world in New York City convinced me of that. I didn't understand what bureaucracy was until I joined one of those. And then I was ready for government. So 
all of these bad behaviors, I mean, as you were alluding to earlier, Brent, about the military, there's bad military commanders, there's good military commanders. Same is true for public sector and commercial sector, private sector, however you want to call it. Yeah, very true. Unless you want to fight about that, we can mm, fight about it. No, that. I agree with you 100%. And you and I have had that conversation many times. And, and, and yes, coming having spent time in, in both at the federal government level, at the state government level, at the local government level, as well as working in the private sector and even running my own company at one point in my career, um, I know and there's vast differences, but there's a lot of similarities. And leadership is a universal thing. Um, you don't have to be a, a specific person in leadership to to be great at it in the public sector and then be horrible at it in the private right. sector. It just doesn't work that way. So you're absolutely right. But from a from a remote or distributed workforce, and you know, we see yeah. that in the private sector that that's going to stay. And I've seen it in some government agencies. It is starting to stick, but a lot of them again are trying to go back to that old way of doing things. Do you think that there's a way that 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 that's going to change over time? See, I'm going to fight you here, Brent, because that's safe, because you're six foot something and on the other side of the screen. This is really good for me. Right. There you go. But, but I'm going to, seriously, I'm going to push back on that a little bit because I'm telling you, I make it my business to stay in touch with the business community here in Asheville. And there are some businesses that are fully remote, but there are just as many that are saying, you got to come back to the office or they didn't do any distributed work the entire time. And, but, but to your, so, so that's my pushback is there are government agencies that are fully remote. In fact, I mean, I, I have some dear friends who work for the federal government. They're not expecting them back. And yet there are some local governments that are expecting folks back last month when the surge was happening in the beginning of you know delta practically right so i i think it's a mixed bag but to the heart of your question what's it going to take i i just think the natural consequences are going to occur now look there are some jobs that just to get you know super hr geeky for a minute there are some jobs that have a BFOQ, a bona fide occupational qualification of you have to touch this thing, right? My better half works in manufacturing. They've got to be in there on the line. And you can't get past that. And you and I, Brent, have field technicians who interact with officers every day and they've got to be able to touch their phone. They've got to be able to touch their radio. They've got to be able to, you know, get in the car and see what's up with the patrol car laptop. So if there's a bona fide occupational qualification of being there, no one cares. They got into that job. They understood that. They got to show up every day. There's pros and cons about it. But what you're talking about is you have no bona fide occupational qualification to be there, and yet some jerk is saying, I want you in a seat so that A, I can spend money on real estate, B, I can spend money on heating and cooling, and, and C, oh yeah, by the way, I can just micromanage the crap out of you. 
Yes. So, I mean, of course those folks are going to push back. Um, but I also think that as younger folk enter the workforce, and I, I, I spoke about this at a conference that you and I were at recently, those younger folks have spent their entire lives making relationships and getting stuff done online. I don't care if it was, I'm dating myself if I say World of Warcraft, whatever the, whatever the, the, the current multiplayer massive MMO online RPG. Yeah, I mean, whatever the latest one is, they've spent their entire lives making relationships and getting things done in a distributed way. So when those folks start businesses, when those folks are, I mean, I know a, a, a person who has a brokerage here in town, it's all remote, got rid of the office, right? I think it's just, it is an artifact of the inability to change with the times. Mm -hmm. And it will go away eventually, but not before there's suffering. There will be suffering because a funny thing happens when your best and brightest exit the organization. The organization ends up not doing well. And and I'll tell you a quick story. Atrophy. Um, th there's a right, right. Talent All atrophy. of a sudden the organization does really badly. Mm -hmm. And then the chief executive micromanager, who is the cause of that, blames it on market forces. And I do some coaching and I do some consulting outside of city of Asheville. And in fact, uh, there was something just happened to the screen, but we're okay now. Um, but, but in fact, that is a true story. Every other organization in that industry was going gangbusters during the pandemic. But this organization decided to get all micromanaging and tell people to come in during the pandemic. And now they are blaming the fact that no one knows what they're doing. Everyone's new crew. There's no institutional knowledge. And oh, by the way, deadlines are being missed shipments aren't being made and it's just market forces we didn't have anything to do with that yeah mm -mm. <laughs> mm -mm. blame it on the market or, or whatever they'll they'll be scapegoats i guarantee you whatever bad thing happens because you push your best and brightest out of your workforce out because you are inflexible and a tyrant they will blame it on market forces. They'll blame it on something else. They, they won't blame it on themselves because, you know, lack of self-awareness is one of the, uh, one of the keystones of being a toxic manager. Yeah. Leader. And to your point, I want to reverse that a little bit and say, I want, I want to ask you, how are you doing things in your organization? Micromanaging the snot out of people. <laughs> So how do you mean? How are we doing things? I mean, we, we, I mean, I'll give you a little overview. The folks who have a bona fide occupational need to be in the office or in the office, uh, the folks who don't necessarily want to be in the office at all aren't in the office. But that, that's where we started, Brent. We said, look, yep. we're starting with a bona fide occupational qualification. We're continuing 
with what is your preference? Because there are folks and, you know, obviously in the world of IT, they're mostly developers who just want to be heads down and coding and getting in the flow and all that stuff. Yeah, cool. Great. You got a lot of GitHub check-ins. That's awesome. Or, and, you know, same is true if you're a help desk person. I mean, it's pretty clear who's working and who's not. Did, yes. Did, I was gonna say, that's what we do. Did, did you do any benchmarks? Did you, did you, did you notice any changes from pre-pandemic to post-pandemic? And did you at any time come back to the office before making those decisions of saying, all right, look, here, you're, you're, you, you have to be here. Sorry, that's your job, but you guys can go wherever. The, the biggest issue, because we do much by metrics, um, the biggest issue is people were working too much. It was the biggest issue. And I hear that everywhere. You know, folks who, who don't have borders and don't have boundaries anymore, certainly in the first six to 12 months of the pandemic, we were getting all kinds of burnout issues because folks were just working too much. Yes. But that is the responsibility of a leader is to say, look, we care about you. And so we embarked on an employee well-being uh, initiative a few months into the pandemic and just really talk to our employees, you know, all the hiring managers uh, who work with me, just talk to employees and said, look, I looked at your, you know, I looked at your time card. I looked at your payroll. I looked at your, whatever it was. And I'm really worried about you. How about taking some time off? Well, there's nowhere to go. Yeah, but how about like not in front of your laptop? And we did a survey. We we saw, you know, what, what are people looking for? What are they missing? Um, you know, like every other organization, we experimented with some uh, morale building activities, including a holiday party where everyone gets to watch each other build a gingerbread house and fail spectacularly and laugh <laughs> uproariously and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I think it begins with if you care about employees, really care, not how are you? How's your family? Why aren't you working? Right. But if you really take care of folks, and you are concerned with folks and you want folks to be okay, they know it. And you're going to get their best efforts. And when there's something wrong, they're going to let you know, as opposed to, you know, you ever have a splinter that you don't take care of and it festers below the surface? Then it gets all infected and I don't want to gross anyone out, but it's nasty. That's what problems unaddressed do in an organization. But if, if you're the kind of person who's just, you know, pounding their fist on the desk and saying it, it, tacitly, right? You're not even asking. You're just saying you need to do this. You need to do that. It's not going to go well. No, and it never does. And that's exactly as you to your point earlier. It's, that's how you push people out the door. And like I said, that, that's a, a, a talent atrophy is what we like to call it. <laughs> and it, I like it. It rears its ugly head 
Um, yeah, we've, we, we had a policy prior to the pandemic here in Chattanooga, and, and that was a work from anywhere policy. We didn't call it a telecommuting policy. It wasn't telecommuting. It was a work from anywhere. You could you come in, come into the office, and the, the, the rule for the city was you, you had to come into the office. Um, we kind of changed that a little bit in IT and said, well, why, why do my developers need to be sitting in a cubicle or behind a, a screen here in a building that we're paying for um, when they could be anywhere? And, you know, you, you, we wanted to have that work-life balance, right? That Because life doesn't stop at 8 o'clock in the morning and then resume at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Life goes on throughout the day. You have appointments, your kids have things, your family has things, and you have to tend to these things. So we tried to make it to where it was flexible enough to where, you know, folks could pretty much, as long as they, like you said, productive, and as long as they do what they're supposed to do, who cares if they're staring out the window for 20 minutes? Who cares if they're driving across town to take, you know, their, 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 ill mother to a a, a doctor's appointment or to their kid to, you know, wherever, or to the vet or, you know, who cares? Right. So we had that policy in place, the, what we call the work from anywhere policy before the pandemic. And even then we had metrics on our productivity at that point. And then after post pandemic, when everybody was pretty much 100 percent remote, save for a few folks in the service desk who had to be on site. And like you said, working with the fire department, the police department, you kind of have to be there to do that. Um, productivity went up like it, it, it skyrocketed. We got more code written. We got more projects done ahead of schedule on time and for less money. And then when we had to go back to the office originally before the second spike hit with the the, the Delta variant, productivity went back down and morale went back down. And now you see what I've already said, you know, we're going to be 100 percent remote all the time unless you absolutely have to be in the office. Um, and also we have another rule, which is no meetings on Fridays, unless you absolutely have to, uh, finish, I like your, it. finish, finish your day and, and, and finish your work week so that you don't take work home with you. Um, but, uh, I digress, but so it, we saw that, that shift and I'm, I'm thinking a lot of other organizations are also starting to see that the productivity and, and the morale, especially when you talk about workplace happiness <clears throat> and you talk about yeah. that work-life balance. That's a key to retaining employees, especially when you talk about us in the public sector where we don't we don't pay what the private sector pays. We pay far less. So So let me suggest though, Brent, you know, and again, I can push back on you because, you know, you're on the other end of the screen and I'm like, you know, five ten and you're six. You know where you live, Jonathan. <laughs> let me push back on you seriously, because I, I think that enhanced productivity can come at a price in that when folks are remote, they tend to just hammer down longer and longer and longer. And they're up, you know, because they're not commuting, they're working nine hours, they're working 10 hours. And I think it comes at a price. And I think that price is burnout. And so I would suggest that what you want is that balancing act where you're optimizing your folks' time, you know, whether whether or not it's in the office or whether or not it's work from anywhere, I think you're just looking for an optimization where, yeah. So, I mean, and, and there are lots of distractions at the office, but there are also lots of distractions at home. 
And, and one of the things uh, I, I try to coach folks is that there are, there are certainly a ton of distractions everywhere and there's a, but it's also okay to have some distractions both in the office and remotely. And you know what I mean? You're getting a cup of coffee yep. at the office. Somebody tries to talk your ear off and that's fine for the first couple of minutes. But then after the first couple of minutes, you're like, well, I got work to do. I got to go, you know, and some people are bad at that. Oh yeah. And so, you know, that sucks up time that you, that you might not want sucked up, but it's inevitable and it's going to happen. And there's also some things at home and it's just a matter of managing them. Uh, and yeah, you know what I mean? It's basic. It's time not management. any different. Yeah. Yeah, it's just time management. Yeah, I agree with you. There's a you, you bring up a valid point, and I do see that because we've we've had some of that. I've had employees that would work at all hours of the night and would be uh -huh. working all night, and we'd literally have to tell them, "Look, you need to take a day off, <laughs> just stop, mm -hmm. um, because we don't want you burned." Especially the good employees who are really dedicated and really hardworking. You don't want them burn out. You want to do things. Mm -hmm. So you know, we we try to balance that as much as we can, because we're not there to, again, it's distributed work, right? So we, we can't, we, we have no idea whether they're sitting in their bedroom at, you know, 1130 at night, hacking away on their keyboard or uh, on their laptop. So we try to do what we can to, to, to encourage that balance and to, for them to disconnect and step away. But at the same time, we try to get some of that social interactivity that you get in the office that you don't get being a distributed team. So have you found any ways to, to do that? I know little private water cooler things on zoom or anything along those lines that you could share with us. We have a, uh, we have an IT services uh, chat room that's called water cooler. And you know, it, it is, it is supposed to be entirely for non-work. In fact, when a hiring manager post something about work or when I post something about work accidentally, we, we all get held accountable by the others. So, uh, you know, it's a, just a place where the stuff that you would share at the water cooler, you would, you know, you just share, you know, whether it's a picture video of your kids, whether it's a music video that you thought was awesome. Uh, it's the place where we can be a little bit human and, and, and spend that, you know, 10 minutes that you might spend at the water cooler together. We've also done uh, events and played some online games. Uh, we've done hybrid events where uh, we get together for a breakfast with, you know, separate servings, very COVID friendly or very COVID anti-friendly, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and... <clears throat> And so we have, uh, you know, a good camera, a good room microphone uh, to make sure that folks are are occupied and large screen and all that stuff for folks who don't want to show up on site. To be honest, I I think the hybrid is tough because folks have to remember, oh yeah, there's the screen. Let me go interact with the screen, you know. And, make those folks feel welcome. So it's tough. 
Because what you really want to do when you go to an in-person event is be in person yeah. and see those people who you haven't chatted with uh, in forever and, and enjoy that. That interactory, uh, yeah, and awesome. camaraderie. And as you and I yeah. at, at, our, at the event we were at in uh, uh, recently in San Diego, it, it noticed that too with the the hybrid, uh, the folks that were not actually present and could not participate in the the conversations that were going on behind the scenes that that they could have you know benefited from. So it is very challenging. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it goes a long way to morale as well. Um, I think some of those hybrid situations have a tendency to to kill morale um, more so than increase morale. Yeah, we're trying to include you on the screen, but it's not really kind of the same thing. And, you know, we've noticed some of that as well. After meetings yeah. that don't include the people on the screen. Exactly. And then the people on the screen find out about the after meeting, and then that's really a killer. <laughs> yeah. Hey, wait, I could have been part of that. I needed to know that. That was good information that I needed exactly. to know. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So any... Any thought about uh, how this new paradigm uh, is going to affect us from a digital transformation standpoint in general? I know we've started with leadership, and now we're kind of translating into that into into this 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 distinct thing that we deal with a lot in the public sector more so than the private sector, which is transforming our, ourselves digitally. To be honest, I think it's just part of digital transformation. And you know, there was a great meme on on Twitter. Uh, that said, what pushed you furthest in your digital transformation efforts? You know, answer one, CEO. Answer two, CIO. Answer three, CMO. Answer four, COVID-19 circle. <laughs> right. right? And, and I think it's true. I mean, you know, the pandemic has just pushed us to do things a little bit earlier than we would have otherwise. Um, you know, as, as far as what's next... I, I think we'll do a good job if we don't roll back, right? I mean, I, yeah, I think if we don't do right two steps forward, three steps back, that'll be great. You know, if we do um, <clears throat> three steps forward, two steps back, okay. But uh, I, I think we're going to continue to see innovations in, in job sharing, uh, in, in temporary work. Uh, you know, folks have this heightened awareness of, you know, everyone's known someone who's died of this. Yes. And so I think folks have a heightened awareness of what am I doing with this one life that I have? My father used to say, a, a musician, life is not a dress rehearsal. And I think more and more people are understanding this is it. This is the trip. This is the only trip. And, and so folks that can, folks with the privilege that don't have to work full time are, I think we're going to see more earlier retirements. Folks are going to be happier with less. They don't need the McMansion. They just want to enjoy their life and not, you know, necessarily be nine to five every day. But I think nine to five has already been kind of shaken. And I think it's about to get stirred. Yeah. If you know what I mean. I agree. So, any any final thoughts for us, Jonathan? I appreciate you including me on your show, Brent. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, thank you for uh, thank you for a fun time. It's always good to banter with you. 
Well, thanks for being on part of the show, and uh, I'll see you next time I'm in Asheville. We'll, we'll get another coffee. Outstanding. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. All right, everybody. That's our show for this evening. Thanks for joining us. Uh, join me next week when I have uh, a wonderful guest, Ashley Jacobs, the Deputy County Manager and CIO of Wake County, North Carolina, where we're going to talk about innovation in the public sector. And one last thing I want to mention to all of you, if you want more insight onto leadership and things, pick up a copy of my book at valuedrivenbook.com. You can get it on Amazon, Target, wherever, but if you get it at valuedriven.book, valuedrivenbook.com, use the code CIVICSPARKS15 and get 15% off until the end of this month. Thanks again, everybody, for joining us, and we will see you in two weeks.